Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9. If you better yourself, you better the world. You know, it, it, you, you talk about courage. And I look at these kids and I, you know, at 15, 16 years old, the courage, I guess that's the great way to put it. The courage that they have to do so much in their life, you know, to whether it be share their story or to say, you know, my addiction is out of control or to walk away from a relationship. The courage that they have at that age and the strength that they have is amazing. And I don't think people realize it. I think people look at kids sometimes and think, what's wrong with their family? And that was Jody Altman, who is the Deputy Executive Director from Kids Escaping Drugs. And I had an awesome conversation with her, and that's what you guys are about to get into. And I assure you that you shall enjoy it. I also want to just give you some quick updates. Room9podcast.com is waiting for you to go check out what we have going on there. So be sure to do that. I'm pretty sure this is the last week I'm going to have the t-shirts thing up. If you have one on order, again, I will be sending an email out very, very soon to let you know the exact date those will be getting shipped. As always, you guys, and your support is amazing. I am in the middle of finally, over two years, finally, I think, after much hard work, finding my position where I want to be, who I really want to connect with and help, and the direction and instructions, in quotes, of how to do it. So they don't really tell you that when you start a business. So that's happening. A lot of fun things, really just trying to fine tune this entire system to be able to connect and bring value to all of you as much as possible. And other than that, enjoy my conversation with Jody Altman, who is once again, the deputy executive director of Kids Escaping Drugs. I will have all of Kids Escaping Drugs social links and website links down below so check that out but if you're trying to get there quickly it's www.ked.org it's an easy one go in check out what they have going on so many awesome resources so many amazing people and enjoy this conversation talk to you guys later peace sitting down with me you're welcome i am very excited i don't know what you know how long have you been uh the ceo well i'm not the ceo i'm the deputy okay. executive director okay. have um, you been here for a while i've been on the campus since the day we opened okay. which was it'll be 30 years in october so do you know dave riffle he did a I lot of work sure do. that is one of my best friends i've known him since seventh grade i sure do tell him hello he is um yeah I'll he was with value that. he was for a while he's now teaching at performing arts yeah yeah he's always uh moving around Good for him. But he did my, my first, I did a big video project for Evergreen right before this whole virus thing happened. And he was, uh, he was, he helped me out. So he's technically a room nine employee part-time. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that works. But anyway, enough about me. You know, what do you do here? What do you love about it? What do you, uh, let's just start with the, obviously your name and you already said your position. Uh, Jody Altman, obviously I'm the deputy executive director um, of Renaissance Addiction Services. So do you want to know about our services? Yeah. What, um, so, I mean, for most people just think teenagers, but what is the. 
So we have different services, and, okay. and we our mission is to provide services for adolescents and young adults. So right now we're a 77 bed campus. Of that 77 beds, 47 are are rehab beds. Okay. And those are for kids ages 12 to 20. And those are kids that are unable to maintain sobriety in their community, in their home at this point in time. So they may have gone to multiple outpatients, unable to stay clean. They may have gone to inpatient somewhere. Um, They may be in trouble with the law. So those kids come and live with us probably on the average of four to five months, and they get all their services here. So they have a counselor who will also work with their family. And and, uh, the way we look at it is our kids are the ones that have substance use problems. But as a result, their family gets sick right along with them. And our feeling is they need to learn about recovery and the family needs to recover as a whole. And I think it's really important for people to understand that family isn't necessarily a mom and a dad. Mm-hmm. You know, we have moms and dads. We have single parent families. We have grandparents raising our kids. Sometimes we have an older sibling raising our kids. Some of our kids have children of their own. So whatever the family is for that individual kid is mm-hmm. is who we work with. And, you know, with COVID and everything, that kind of threw a monkey wrench into <laughs> yeah, that part of our did. program. So we really had to scramble and we had to do the remote thing. So we do it, you know, via Zoom, via WebEx, whatever the family needed at the time. So now we've opened up more, but we're still very restrictive on that. But I can talk about that later. So we do a lot of evidence-based groups. We do all evidence-based groups. Mm-hmm. You know, kids respond to kids. I can talk to a kid all day long and they have this like automatic turnoff button. We all had it growing up and kids talking to kids, kids relating to kids, kids confronting kids to me and to us is the effective way to get at this disease. So we do a lot of group work with our kids. Okay. Our kids even go to school with us. So people always ask me, well, how do you do that? They go two hours a day and it's all coordinated through their home school districts. We have our own teachers. Oh, that's awesome. I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So it's not your traditional eight hour a day or six hour a day stand up and teach. It's more of like a tutoring kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The schools are more than willing to cooperate and, and partner with us and send in the schoolwork for our kids. And then the teachers help them with that. So kids that are in middle or high school, for kids that um, high school is just not not a good environment for them, um, we're licensed by the state to both prep and test for the task, which okay. is the GED. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a classroom for that. And then for kids that might have finished high school that are in that 12 to 20 year old range or have got their task, we do life skills and vocational work with them. So again, everything we do is individualized based on need. What I'm really proud of is, yes, we are a substance use facility, but we also treat mental health. We're licensed by the, by the state to treat substance use, but what we know is that substance use and mental health go hand in hand. Pretty much, yeah. And then you throw in adolescence, and then you throw in trauma. So all of our kids, we have to kind of weed through, you know, are they using because of their mental health? Is their mental health because of their using? And what role trauma plays in all of their lives? Because all of our kids have had trauma, whether it is, and oftentimes multiple, whether they've witnessed it or been a victim, they all, a good percentage, have co-occurring mental health disorders as Mm -hmm. well. So I'm really, really proud of what we've built in our mental health program. We have a psychiatric nurse practitioner who is here once a week for eight hours, 10 hours, excuse me, but on call all the time, and she is amazing. We have a LCSW, and we also have a mental health counselor. So we're able to work individually with these kids in conjunction with their mental health 
to meet their mental health needs. So I'm very, very proud of that. And we're looking to even spruce that up more because it just seems to be getting worse. It's almost like sometimes their mental health is primary. Um, and then we have to kind of pivot and adjust to that. Yeah, I find that that's a case a lot of times. I think, I mean, I don't know. But you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. They're both so co- co-occurring. They usually come hand in hand. They do. And, it, you know, there's a time I've been around this field, in the field for 33 years, out Mm -hmm. with kids. And when I first got in the field, I always tell this, we treated alcohol here, substance use here, and God forbid mental health, we sent them away for that. So we learned fairly quickly that they all kind of go hand in hand. And our job is to tease out who needs what and when in order to give the very best treatment possible. So I think that's really critical. We have, you know, kids are bored. Kids wake up in the morning and they're bored. Kids are bored all day long and it's my fault. So (laughs) me being the adult in the world. So what we do is we have a really strong recreation program. Our kids need to learn how to have fun. You know, so many of them have been robbed of their childhood through addiction, whether it's theirs or somebody else's, through mental health. And it's our job to let them be kids. So we have a huge gym that's been redone through very, very generous people. Great backyard that the kids are able to get out and have fun. And COVID has really taught us to have to figure that out. Mm. So pre-COVID... Western New York community is amazing to us. They've always been amazing. And we have had tickets to just about everything. We had season tickets through a a great donor for Sabres games. Bill's games we go to. We go to the beach. We go to parks. You know, and then COVID hit. And we really had to think on our feet quickly. So we've done a lot of fun stuff with our kids. And I will tell you, COVID is an awful thing. But what it's done on this campus has brought everyone together. It's forced everybody to get to know everybody. It's forced everybody to work together. And we've really had to work hard to let these kids learn how to play. That's been a benefit of it. You always feel guilty when you say, oh, you know, good things came from it. But I mean, it's very true. You know, every crappy situation can build something good if you allow it to. And I think I as well have learned how to be alone better and spend time in solitude and everything else. And I think that really forces people to either... You either do something and cry about it or you do something and make something of it, learn something, put something together. So what did you guys had to like figure out how to do? Because obviously there's so many rules, I assume, even from the state and everything else that come down with it. So I can remember the very beginning and it was a Saturday and, and myself and the executive director and the campus director talking about what do we do? And that Sunday, we brought the leadership team in and we started trying to figure it out. We didn't have a lot of guidance and we just went from what we know. And so we immediately shut this campus down. Okay. Nobody left. Nobody came in other than the employees. And the the understanding with the employees was you come to work and you go home, which was kind of the rule in the world anyways. So mm-hmm. that wasn't a huge stretch. What we had to do talk about a lot of things. We would try things. If they worked great, if they didn't work, we would get back together as a leadership team and we would try something different. What I will tell you is we were transparent both with our kids and with our staff. You know, all of a sudden we're saying to these kids, you can't leave the campus even Mm. though you're supposed to be taking a pass. And oh, by the way, your family can't come see you either. Yeah, that had to be tough. (laughs) I will tell you, I think it was tougher for the adults. The kids kind of went with it. Really? That's awesome. They really, the kids... 
and this is my my passion as kids, so I will get worked up about this. I would hope so. 30-something years oh working with them. It better be. <laughs> These kids, I have to believe for, and I think I speak for the majority of the staff on this campus. These kids got us through COVID. We didn't get them through COVID. Hmm. Their willingness to trust us, their willingness to let us figure it out, partner with us, let us figure out how to do the Zooms and the FaceTimes and all of that. And they just trusted us. And they really got us through. Their strength, and this is what I love about kids, is they have this inner strength that as an adult, we don't have. Hmm. They have this resilience. They just survive. They don't even know they're doing it. And I think what they did for COVID is really gave us what we needed to do to keep on moving. You know, everybody's got their stuff at home. We all go home to families. We all go home to COVID, you know. And I think coming to the campus for a lot of people was a good distraction. We got to take care of the kids, but the kids took care of us in some ways. So, you know, we locked everything down. Nobody came in. Nobody left. Our medical director was amazing. He worked with us. He did a town hall for the staff just to answer questions, to kind of allay some fears. You know, it's frightening. Nobody knows what to do. And he's an incredibly calm man um, and was able to really help us negotiate things. He still does. So we just... We just locked it down and we figured it out and we took care of the kids and we did fun things with the kids. We still had structure, but there were certainly times when we threw that out the window mm-hmm. just for their needs. So the, yeah. it worked. Um, we've since, with guidance and, and approval from the state, because we also were not allowed to do admissions yep. for all that time, have begun to do admissions. We've begun visiting. It's very scripted. It's done in our administration building. The visiting it's done by appointment only not you know we normally had visiting on saturdays and sundays People could just kind of come in between during certain hours. correct okay. now it's appointment only um everything everybody's masked their temperatures are taken everything that the guidelines tell us to do we've begun to let our kids take some passes again very scripted and our halfway house kids which i'll talk about after are now beginning to go back to their lives. So I personally am petrified, was, have been <laughs> petrified through all of this, but I will tell you, we have kept COVID off this campus. Which is awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so. And I think you, when you said you guys kind of work together as a team and that's what it takes and not to try to take us down any political realm, but I think that's what that country, our country needs is everybody to come together and work together because uh-huh. that's what it takes. And we'll leave it at that as we'll far leave as it at that. not going down there because that's not why I'm here. But. but you're right. But everybody here brought something to the table. Yeah. You know, whether it was myself, whether it was someone in our maintenance program, in our rec program, it didn't matter. Everybody had something to say. And, you know, we got we would get on one track and somebody would say, did you try this? And it was like, no. And we're going to, you know, so we just, we just tried. And I just, I think we're better for it and we're stronger for it. But at the end of the day, and the the weird part now is those kids stuck it out with us. We didn't lose Mm -hmm. any kids and they're now beginning to graduate. And us as a staff, having to let go of that is difficult. Mm. And I see people struggling with it. Yeah. I mean, well, that says a lot about you, too, is being one of the leaders here, because I think that's what it takes is a leader that can is open minded. It's humble enough to take other people's ideas and listen to them and actually think about them. And I think that's that's awesome of you and everybody else as a team here, because that's so important. 
especially to get through anything, especially a crisis like this where people are dying. And in order to come together as a team and work and keep it away and be better for it is pretty awesome. So congrats on that. I appreciate it. I think it was a real group effort. You know, our executive director, myself and our campus director really spearheaded it and really kind of, you know, pulled the campus together and we each took a piece of it. And I think Mm -hmm. it worked. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm proud of us. Yeah, that's really good. That's great. Great. So what else have you had to implement as far as the change with the COVID thing? Um, I think, like I said, you know, we're starting to open things up. Just slowly. Very slowly. Tiptoeing out very slowly. Um, We had to even set rules with our staff that we're taking vacations. You know, I mean, that was a whole other issue. Mm -hmm. You know, to tell people we had a bunch of people getting married. Yeah. You know, so you see, you know, what you see in the media about these weddings is what, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, some of our people have had to live through on our campus. So just kind of negotiating and navigating through all of that, like I said, with not a lot of direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. While still maintaining a program. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, still helping people, still changing lives, still yep. being there to support families and yeah, and, and your just residents. when we sometimes couldn't support ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally, um, we've just done it. Yeah, and that's and again, it takes a team to do that. Yep. so that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and I will tell you, for me, there's a lot of colleagues I have in this field in this area you know, locally, mm-hmm. that I had no problem reaching out to and saying, "How are you guys doing this?" You know, so it's a very small treatment community here. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, being able to reach out to those people that I I have a connection with was a piece of it as well. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And that's awesome. You can call on other people too and say, how'd you get over this? And I think that's important. Being somebody who is in recovery, somebody who's been on the other side of the counseling and the residential and all of that, uh, there's this consensus around with so many people that it's just a business. It's just about money. And you, you run into those people a lot. And I love my experience because now I'm on both sides. I've yep. worked closely with you know the CEO of Evergreen Ray and then Ann Constantino and yep. Sydney and Bruce over at uh, Spectrum. Yep. And they're all just such loving and caring people. That's something I always kind of see not only am I connecting the recovery world with the treatment product, but vice versa mm-hmm. and kind of opening eyes because so many people think that it's just, you know, behind closed doors, it's just about money. You know what? At the end of the day, <laughs> you're right. It's a business and we got to pay it. bills. Yes. But I will tell you when this campus, when the concept came to be, so we're talking back in the 80s when it was a first a concept, opening in 1990, it was the con- the idea was to serve the population that was underserved. And that was kids and that was families that didn't necessarily have the ability to pay. And from 1990 to today, having been here the whole time, I can tell you the mission was always to serve that population and never to turn anybody away because of their inability to pay. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, we have never done that. So Yes, it's a business. And yes, we have to pay bills and we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't weigh that against somebody's life, much less a child's life. Absolutely. So I think it's a passion, I think. And it will always be the mission of this campus long after I'm here. Yeah, that's great. I think people need to kind of get to know that and get to hear that. So people do need to hear that. Yeah, they do. And I think it needs to be said louder and said more times. Well, I will say to anybody who listens to me. That's why I'm doing this. Yeah, I think it's a great, and I appreciate that. I think to get that out there and to not 
to not have it in such a business format, I yes. think is great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's necessary too. I think that's what people are yearning for is yep. authenticity, genuinity, and all that other, those fancy words that we like to say. Yeah. Vulnerability. Well, what other ones have we got? How about being real? <laughs> there we go. How about being real? Yeah, and I that's like the that thing one. about yeah. kids. Like if you are not real, they see through us. Oh, they call it out too. Oh boy. Yeah. Some people, maybe grownups will see it and not say anything and say something behind your back, but kids will say it right to your face. Yeah. Any chance they get. <laughs> you know, they're the best teachers we have. You know, we all, and that's what people need to understand. Kids are a very different population. Mm-hmm. And it's not for everybody. It's certainly not for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to have that passion in your gut. And we always say that to people that we're bringing onto this campus, new employees. Like, mm-hmm. I always will say, why kids? And when I see, when I ask that question and I see them sit up and smile, then I know they're appropriate. Because you have to have that deep down passion to know that these kids are going to call you every single name in the book twice. They're going to say <laughs> they hate you. They're going to, you know, curse you out. But at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to hug you and say thanks. You yeah. know, they're just raw. They're just what you see is what you get. And to me, it's the greatest population to work with because it's like a blank slate. And have you found... Because obviously, I feel like, you know, one of my main reasons for using, I don't know if I showed my brother and sister died when I was 15. And, you know, so this, you know, that kind of went on. And then I dealt with that trauma probably more in my, at least started to face it more in my mid 20s. But have you found it easier with kids who have been traumatized or gone through traumatic experiences younger, easier to kind of get them to talk about, get them to face it? As opposed to kind of older people, um, it's kind of a, a tough question. That's a but tough. It just made me what question. made me think of it is just like because you know you're working with kids who have had trauma and so many people that I adults that are struggling with substance use because of trauma is because obviously a lot of times it's from when they were a kid and I just wonder if it's easier to kind of pull back. I feel like there might be few layers, for lack of a better term, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense, kind of covering that trauma. I, that's a great question. I think yes and no. I think in some cases, yes, because there's less layers. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, I think there's more layers because of maybe who has victimized them, mm. how long they've been victimized, that, you know, their kids, their brains are still forming. There's so much that goes into being a kid. You know, take away the trauma, the mental health, the substance use. Just being a teenager is a really tough thing, especially in this century, you know, mm-hmm. 21st century. Um, and then you throw everything else on top of it. I think it further complicates I think in some cases, these kids are so ready to deal with trauma. In some cases, we're just going to get the tip of it yeah. and have to refer it on. So I don't know if I can give you a straight yes or no to Which your it's question. Which nothing is ever that black and white. No, but, yeah. I think, it, but I can tell you, for me, the passion that I have for kids is because I feel like we can do that mm-hmm. way more than I can do that and be much more effective than I can with an adult. Okay. So yeah. I think that's kind of a convoluted answer but i think no it makes sense yeah. i mean again nothing is ever black and yes no. or no but yeah that's because it was just something that kind of popped in my head because i just i mean i remember my experience i didn't even realize how much it affected me until at least a decade later mm-hmm. I was absolutely like, when you know i was talking with a couple of my buddies about high school and i was like i don't even remember any of those teachers and stuff like, and i remember that in my mid-20s kind of like oh wait Maybe this kind of screwed me up a little more than I ever yeah, yeah. expected, but yeah. I think it just depends on the kid, the trauma. The, uh, there's so mm-hmm. much that goes into it. We have an art therapist on staff, and she does EMDR, which is is for trauma. Right yeah. Um. So she really works a lot with that 
Um, yeah, I, I just literally did a podcast with I'm trying to remember her name, Anna Anna Shermatz, and she does a, she specializes in EMDR. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty intense. Yeah, I've heard great that I've talked with a couple people who've used it and mm-hmm. have really, you know, even grown-ups have really used it and um, have really benefited from it. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that we're able, you have to, I really believe you have to meet these kids where they're at. And when they're not ready to deal with something, it's Let not it about me, it's about be. them. Yep. Which I think you could say that about any person. Yeah. I think you need yeah. to meet them where they're at. Yeah. You do. And, and that's all patient-centered care is, mm-hmm. you know, do what they're ready to do. So I, I'd like to think we're good at that. Yeah. And I mean, if you're good at that, that's great. Because then you're always here for somebody no matter what. And I, I think that's so. uh, that's super important. Do you want to hear about our other services? Yes. Yeah. Let's, okay. let's continue. Um, I'll let you take it. What do you want to? Okay. So we have 30 beds that we're going to actually offer different levels of care. Correct. Right now we offer in those 30 beds reintegration, Okay. Um, which is a halfway house model. So we have 15 beds for boys and 15 for girls. Right now, that age is 15 to 24, so we've kind of expanded a little bit. Okay. Um, We're probably going to change it a little bit at some point, but those are kids that have either completed our program or some type of program, Um, and for whatever reason, home isn't okay. Doesn't mean their physical home. Could be their environment, their influences, so they live with us, but they get the services off the campus. So it's been a really great thing for us to do to partner and collaborate with other agencies. So they will go to outpatient for substance use treatment, for mental health, if they need any kind of uh, MAT, if they need any kind of mental health meds. They Mm -hmm. do that at outpatient. Our kids that are of high school age will actually get on pre-COVID, got on a school bus and went to West Seneca West, which is our local district. We have kids go to college. Um, And we have kids that will work. Again, very individual. The idea is they reintegrate back into the community during the day, but have a safe place to come back to at night to deal with that. Absolutely. Because there's there's pressures that even as an adult, I don't know are out there for these kids. So to know that they can come back and we have a counselor and a case manager and a vocational specialist here to help them. That's awesome. It's great. That is awesome. Because you do, you get into that, what do they they call it? The rehab bubble. Oh my gosh. I mean, and it's just, even no matter how prepared you think you are, when you finally, even when I went to an Oxford house, I mean, it was just like, bam, shocking all of a sudden all day, you're just sitting there and it's like, it can be very challenging to adjust. Absolutely. Now be 15 years old and try to do that. And with everything else that's going on in the world, I mean, that's, you know, we're really, those services have been up and running for over a year. What's exciting to come is that we are going to be offering both for the older kids and the younger kids stabilization services, which are detox. Okay. So we'll be able to detox kids from mild to moderate withdrawal. We'll also be able to stabilize their mental health. So they can come with us, we can stabilize them and then figure out where they need to go. For our older kids, that'll go up to age 24. But what we're also going to offer some stabilization for our 12 to 20 year olds. So right now, if I have a 16 or 17 year old that's in need of, of withdrawal services, if I send them to a hospital, they're not going to take them. Okay. They're going to give them comfort meds to, to not have them be physically sick, which don't work. <laughs> no, they I can do not speak from experience. Correct. And so what are the kids going to do? They're going to go out and they're going to get high mm-hmm. again. And this cycle continues. So we're hoping to be able to stop that cycle, get them stabilized. And then some will go home and go to outpatient or some will need inpatient. Again, it's very individualized. What's really neat about this is once we have that up and running, we will be the only program in New York State to offer stabilization services for under 18-year-olds. Really? Oh, that's so great. very excited about that. We'll be a model for the state. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. We're just waiting to flip the switch from the state. We're waiting for the final 
final okay to do it for the younger population, and then we'll also be adding it ultimately down the road for the older population as well. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's going to be a comprehensive campus, and the services that we're going to be providing are going to be pretty cutting edge. So we are very excited. Yeah, that is super exciting. And now is everything just kind of on this campus here? Well, it is for our rehab kids, yes. Okay. Um, So everything is, you know, within their building or different buildings. Yep. Yep. But down the line, when they're in treatment and rehab, they do earn privileges and they get to take passes. So it could be, you know, right now with COVID, it's very limited to what it is. They start with their families coming in and they go, you know, maybe hang out in our pavilion in the back for a couple hours, maybe have lunch together, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And they work up to spending a few hours at home. Okay. Really important. Important for the families to have time together, especially important if the kid's goal is to return home after treatment. They, you know, oftentimes they have to go home and they have to clean their room, you know, because they store things, stash things in their room. They may have to go home because they don't have cell phones in rehab and go through their phone and and clean things out of there. So it's really important for family is, is family treatment is very important to us. So we can, any way we can facilitate that at some point, we do. Well, that's, yeah, that's super important because as everybody kind of knows, it's not just the person who is struggling with the substance use. It is the entire family that is affected. And that's why it's so critical for people to understand that we have services right here. We have a gem. This campus, it was built by the community and continues to be supported Mm -hmm. by the community. And we serve kids from all over New York State. So we have kids from New York City. We have kids that are local. People need to understand that and need to understand that sending their kids away, you know, to different states, the family doesn't get help. You know, yeah, Mm -hmm. they can do it now over Zoom, but there's nothing like being able to come in and see and feel and touch your kid. So, you know, that's our big push is families. And, you know, we will, whatever that is for that child, we'll make it work. Yeah, I think that was key for me and my family and recovery and my girlfriend and my sister and just everybody who could come in, sit down with a counselor or, you know, somebody at least to mediate the whole situation and talk things out. And I think, again, easing that back in, easing them back home is, I think, a great idea. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. So we're proud of that. That's the services we have on the treatment side. Okay. So the other side of our campus is Kids Escaping Drugs. So we're called the Kids Escaping Drugs Renaissance Campus. Okay. That's the full official name. Yes. Okay. And this is where it gets a little hairy. Two separate organizations that we do everything together. So Renaissance Addiction Services provides the treatment. Kids Escaping Drugs is our community outreach, intervention, education piece. It It is not prevention. They are not licensed as a prevention agency, but they were, when Kids Escaping Drugs was first created, it was to raise the funds to build the campus. And so they've done that. And now the focus has gone into our face-to-face program. And that is our outreach education program. So there's lots of different layers to that. And all of this obviously is on our website, Mm -hmm. ked.org. What they do is a few different things. So they do a peer-to-peer program. So we will actually, pre-COVID, take kids in recovery into schools to share their stories. Oh, so that's awesome too. Yeah. The, it's amazing because the program counselors will go in there, they'll do their thing. The kids aren't hearing that. They want to hear from somebody that looks like them, sounds mm-hmm. like them, lives like them. And it's amazing. Our kids in recovery, and it's all voluntary, can go into a classroom of 15, can go into an auditorium of 300. Hmm. They get up there, they share their stories, and it's amazing the response we get. How empowering for the kid, too. Unbelievable. Yeah. Frightening, but unbelievable. And kids 
kids respond. Kids, it's amazing to see the kids that come up to them afterwards and, and talk about their own addiction or, or talk about that of a family member. So we really work hard with our kids on how to respond to that. Mm. We also have a workplace program face-to-face in the workplace. So what we realized was we're doing all this stuff in the school. So we do a lot of that peer-to-peer stuff. We would do it like when new freshmen come into schools, we go in and we talk pre-prom, those kinds of, you know, the sports teams. But what we were realizing is we were missing the family. Hmm. You know, we're not getting mom and dad there. We're getting the kids. But mom and dad didn't need to learn about this, but they work. So we developed our face-to-face in the workplace program where we will go into any type of a workplace and we will talk about signs, symptoms, and trends of addiction. Okay. So we can do a lunch and learn. Um, We've gone to uh, maybe plants that do shift work. So if we got to be there at 5 a.m., we'll go in there and we'll just educate the adults on signs, symptoms, and trends of addiction so they know what to look for. No matter the size of the workplace, we can go into small doctor's offices to big plants. It doesn't matter. We like to say we'll talk to anybody that will listen. Which again, it's doesn't discriminate. There's always somebody, Does no matter that. where you live, who you are, absolutely I mean, that is, can struggle with substance use, mental health, and usually both. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the third part is our intervention program. And so when we started this years ago, we had eight partner schools. We are over in over 300 schools now. Wow. So what happens is a child is in school and they get suspended for something. Um, Usually they're high in school or they're skipping school, something related to their use. If they, and oftentimes they'll get suspended for 16 weeks, again, pre-COVID. And it's out of school suspension. So what do you think they're going to be doing? Yeah. So vacation. Correct. (laughs) And mom and dad's problem. Mm -hmm. So with our partner schools, if they participate in an intervention with us, oftentimes they'll knock it down to half of that, if not less. So pre-COVID, what they would do is they would come here with a parent or guardian and they would meet with one of our or two of our kids in recovery. The kids are in the room. The adults are in a different room. The adults will meet with the program counselor and the kids will meet with these kids and the kids will share their story. It's an intimate session Mm -hmm. setting. And then they switch and the kids will go share their story with Hmm. the families and the counselor will meet with the kids and then everybody comes back together and our program counselors will make any kind of referrals that need to be made. Sometimes it's just something simple as a contract at home, a home drug test. What we found out is that in this day and age, these kids are really good at masking their use. Mm-hmm. So we've actually had some come <laughs> for an early intervention that have ended up on the campus. Whatever the need is, that's what we do. So we meet them where they're at. COVID hits, we're doing a lot of that virtually. So we're able to do all of our programs virtually. So the workplace programs, the school programs, the interventions, we can do everything, everything virtually, virtually now. Okay. Um, we have a lot of things that are on demand, I'm told, so that schools are able to pull from that. And we've started to do some in-person interventions as well. So that's the hmm. whole kids escaping drugs thing. In addition to that, we fundraise. We got to keep the lights on. So yep. we have lots of events. Unfortunately, COVID hit when our event season really started. Oh, I think I feel like that was a case for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, my goodness. I know. But what we do are able to do is our uh, Rise for Recovery Walk, if I can give you that information. Mm -hmm. We have figured a way to do it and do it both virtually and in person. Okay. Again, it's going to be on our website, but it's September 12th at the Outer Harbor. Um, You'd have to obviously go on our website to register. Yep, I will leave links to with the description of the podcast and everything below. And it's during recovery month. 
when we recreated, because we've had a walk for a year and it used to be different and we recreated it and it's in honor of people we've lost and people who are battling addiction. And so it's families that come out, their team consists of everybody to support somebody either battling or somebody that they have lost. Okay. It's emotional, but it's also something that, and we didn't know how it would play out, but people want to do. So Canal Side, the Outer Harbor, and the City of Buffalo um, have looked at our plans and are supportive. It's all socially distanced. It's very well scripted. Not everybody's walking at the same time. You're only walking with your team. Okay. Um, So we're really excited about that. We feel like the community needs something. Yes, I, th- I agree. I think so, we do. <laughs> we're excited about that. And, and we would encourage anybody that's willing to participate because we need something. You know, at this point, we've all been housebound. So let's get outside for we're a little while. We're getting antsy. Yes. <laughs> so we're very excited. Getting very antsy. So yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And that's September 12th, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'll make sure I leave all the links and everything. Perfect. Um, Thank when you. I, when I post all of this to, you know, to the website. but. Yeah, so that's like, this is a busy place. It is. I did not realize how much you guys got going on. And I absolutely love, absolutely love how much you use the teens and encourage them to share their stories and encourage them to talk with other teens. And I just can't even imagine. Like, I love storytelling. Obviously, it's one of my favorite things mm-hmm. is to share story. I feel like, obviously, they've been around since we could draw on caves. And they're also, it gives the person who's sharing their story it feels makes them feel empowered. Mm-hmm. It's like a load off of your shoulder saying, hey, I've struggled with this. Yep. This is what I've done to overcome it or this is what I'm trying to do to overcome it. That's amazing. And when you're somebody who feels alone in your issue and you hear somebody who struggled with the same thing, that's incredible. And then that can give somebody else the courage and the strength to stand up and share their story. And I think it's just contagious. So I love that you're using that piece. You know, it, it, you, you talk about courage and I look at these kids and I, you know, at 15, 16 years old, the courage, I guess that's the great way to put it. Mm -hmm. The courage that they have to do so much in their life, you know, to whether it be share their story or to say, you know, my addiction is out of control or to walk away from a relationship, the courage that they have at that age and the strength that they have is amazing. And I don't think people realize it. I think people look at kids sometimes and think what's wrong with their family. Mm. where's their parents and you know what we have some kids that come from amazingly strong healthy families and we have kids that come from not so good families Mm -hmm. you know there's no way to predict but i can tell you it doesn't have to do necessarily with the parents aren't watching these kids you know there's so much out in this world for these kids right now that i would hate to be a child i would hate Mm. To have to fight everything that's technology, to fight the messages in the music and on the TV and in everything that these kids live and, and breathe. And so to have the courage that these kids have and the strength to say, I've had enough and I want to change. I don't know that I have that as an adult sometimes. So people need to understand these are not bad kids. These kids are amazing. And these are not kids that, you know, you think these stereotypes. These are your athletes. These are your valedictorians. Hmm. You know, it does not matter. And people don't get it. No, no, people don't understand that at all. And I think that's an importance of what you guys are doing here, what I'm doing, what, you know, all the other treatment providers in this area, because we just need to, we need to just stop. It's, it's annoying. It's frustrating. And it's like, oh, you want to pull your hair out sometimes because that's what people automatically think. Like the stigma, you know, it's just so there still. And it drives me nuts. It's alive and well. Mm -hmm. And I know as a treatment community, we are all trying so hard to make it go away. In some days it's great and some days it's mm-hmm. not so great. And all we can keep doing is is standing up and fighting for these kids. 
and fighting for their right to be kids and to live healthy lives. And you know what? The passion that the staff and the people that come on this campus and the community have for these kids is what drives us, you know, and, and what helps us keep going. You know, we're very protective of them. Very, very protective and very <laughs> As particular. As you should be, yeah. yeah. No, that is great. Yeah. No, yeah, I love I love the vibe here. I love how you guys are just using the kids. Not using them. That sounded mm. terrible. How you have yeah. the kids getting involved with their sharing their stories and learn how. Because I think that's so important to get a voice, too, at a younger age. Oh, yeah. Because they've been silenced. Yeah. You know, and they have no problem saying, you know what, that's not necessarily true. I will tell you, our face-to-face program counselors that are ones going into the schools Mm -hmm. and into the community, they get their information from our kids. So they will bring (laughs) a group of kids together and say, tell me about this drug. Tell me about that. And the kids love to teach. They're way smarter than me. They're Mm. way smarter than all of us. People need to understand (laughs) that they think these are, uh uh-uh, these kids are way smarter. And they will answer any question and teach you anything you want to learn. So why not ask? That's great. That's great. And before we get out of here, what is is some of the biggest challenges that you have found kind of working, not necessarily with just teenagers, but trying to keep this afloat, everything together? And even before COVID, I mean, what were kind of some of the the biggest challenges you've had to overcome? The system's always a challenge. Yeah. So the system for to navigate for kids, for adolescents, county and statewide, is probably very, 10 times very worse difficult. than for non-minors. Correct. <laughs> yeah, and, I imagine it is. You know, for these parents, if they don't have a good advocate, or for the family members, if they don't have a good advocate, to help them, they get caught up in a system, they get discouraged, they stop, and the kids end up dead. So that's always an issue. Money's always an issue. We're all not for profits. Mm-hmm. Everybody's fighting for the same money. So being able to fill your beds, keep your beds filled, again, at the end of the day, it's a business. We have to do that. But to be able to balance that with having the right people, mm-hmm. you know, that, that get into those beds and get the services. So that's always a balancing act. Now COVID hit. Yeah, everything's Um, a balancing act now. (laughs) Right now, you know, the state's broke and there's a threat. There's a withhold of money right now, which I'm sure you've probably heard. And Mm -hmm. there's a threat to make that withhold a take back. I will tell you, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of my colleagues, that will decimate the treatment field. Oh, my gosh. You know, it started at 31%. It's now 20%. Hold back, possible take back. We are operating bare bones. Everybody is operating bare bones right now. If you take away 20%, again, we weren't allowed to admit for three or four months, it will decimate the treatment field. And at the end of the day, we'll have to figure it out, but at the cost of lives. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that the people in charge understand the full depth of that. So that is a huge challenge for us. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes when I watch TV, I wonder if maybe they do understand they just don't care. And I hope that's not the case. But I I feel so often like it just gets the mental health and the substance use. It's still a moral failing in a lot of people's eyes. One of my, my biggest moments I share with people was I remember when I was starting to have withdrawals before I went to rehab and everything. And my girlfriend's house was about six blocks from my parents where I was staying. And I was about to get kicked out of there because I kept stealing stuff from them. Mm. But I remember walking down, it's about six blocks, crying, bawling my eyes out the whole walk because I didn't want to go in there and take anything to pawn to go get drugs. But yet there's another voice. There's this battle and this yelling match going on. And, you know, I tried to, you know, you try to illustrate that for people because I I knew what I was doing was wrong and I didn't want to do it, but I still, you know, had to do it. Like Mm -hmm. I still felt compelled to do it. And what a a dark spot for anybody to be in, especially a teenager. Yep. 
And I think it just, if you can kind of show people that almost, you wish you could sometimes flip a switch and say, here, experience this for a minute. Correct. Because it is the farthest thing from them. I've met some of those beautiful, incredible, talented, amazing, nice people who have been in recovery. I will tell you, I echo what you say. I can tell you that people still think this is a choice. Mm -hmm. I don't believe any person wakes up in the morning and says, my goal in life is to be a drug (laughs) addict or an alcoholic. Or to steal from my parents. To be locked up, to be in withdrawal, to have mental health issues. We need to treat this like any other disease. If I have cancer, I'm going to get a certain treatment Mm -hmm. and nobody's going to judge me for it. So we need to do the same thing with addiction. They may choose to pick up the first time, but that starts a cycle that I'm quite sure they're not looking for. Yep. And unfortunately, people still think this is a choice. And until people, and I hate to say this, People in power realize it's not a choice, it's a disease, and people are dying by the dozens. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get anywhere, and we're not going to get rid of the stigma that we have. So I'm really passionate about that. People need to understand these are sick kids, not bad kids. Yeah, I think that's huge. Super important. Yeah. So any other final words before we get out of here? I, I mean, I appreciate doing this. This is my first time, and it's kind of a cool medium to to have something to do i love it yeah i think it's great i love having great conversations like this and so thank you very much for sitting down with me you are very welcome and i will do it anytime all right awesome well thank you for listening to the room nine podcast hope you guys enjoyed please check out room nine podcast.com and i will be talking to you next week as always stay encouraged stay loved just take care of yourself and therefore you can help other people and that's it peace out guys have a great week